just to be wholly surrounded by Jesus. And the more that I minister, the more that I walk in faith, the more that I walk alongside people on their journey, the, the more I crave being like Jesus. I thought this was something that would only happen right at the start of someone's conversion. You know, that sort of, those magical few months, that almost like that feeling of that honeymoon period when you become a Christian and, and that weight is lifted from you and you're like, yes, I know this is you, Jesus. I, I want to I learn so much about you. I want to be like you. But you know what? I, I feel more today that I want to be like Jesus more than I did when I was 18 when I had that conversion moment in my life. And that deep longing, that deep desire to apprentice to him is the language that we've sort of used over these past few months, it's just still so there. And I, and I think that when I am as old as other people in this room, that, <laughs> that my longing to be more like Jesus will be even greater than it is now. And I, and I don't understand how it can be, because truly at the moment, I, I just feel like I hope, want my whole life to be surrounded by him and to just be engrossed in him. So I have 100% indulged on what I want to talk about tonight. And um, I generally try not to talk about me um, when I preach. That, that is a genuinely sort of conscious decision I make. Um, but in essence, I'm just going to talk about me tonight. <laughs> because I want, I want the kind of... What I've been reading about over these past few uh, months and years, the stuff that I've been trying to work through, these rhythms that I'm trying to cultivate more into my life that are wholly Jesus-centered, I, I just want to kind of offer it to you and just see if you want to walk that journey with me. A story to start. Um, some of you may know that we go to visit my uncle and aunt, and, and they live in, in Europe, uh, in the mountains. And my uncle is um, almost turning 60, and he is incredibly fit. So he is walking the mountains daily. He will cycle in the mountains. He, he is physically incredibly fit. He's also vegan, so like nothing that goes in his body is bad. And whenever we go out to visit them as a family, when we're there, we eat the food that they give to us, this really healthy food. Me and Hannah do smuggle chocolate with us because we can't cope <laughs> quite with the healthy food that's there. But anyway, and, and we see them and they're so fit. I mean, he's, he's double my age and, and he would outwalk me no ends. And every time we leave, we get on the plane to come home, and I say to Hannah, I want to be as fit as him by the next time we go out. So we get back, and we put this like, healthy eating plan together, and I go on like a run 
and then it just flops. I, I, I truly want to be like my uncle. I want to be as fit as him. I want to eat like him. I want the kind of lifestyle that he has. He doesn't know Jesus, so pray for him. But besides that, I want the lifestyle that he has. And I want it without putting any of the effort in. And I feel that magically it will just happen, that the next time I go out, well, he'll be older then, won't he? So he must, he'll be slower. He'll be less fit. He carries Zachary on his back when we got the mountains, and I carry Primrose, and I'm still, like, lagging behind him. I want his life, but I'm not prepared to put the effort in. And a few years ago, this was like well after my conversion, sort of mid to late 20s, I'm 31 now, um, I realised that I wanted the lifestyle that Jesus had. I wanted to be like Jesus, but I was half-heartedly apprenticing to him. Now, I didn't think I was. I truly thought that I was apprenticing as he teaches us to. But the more I read about it, the more this desire came for me to be like Jesus, I realized that I was doing like I was doing that with my uncle. I was seeing a picture of what my life could be, and I wanted it, but I wasn't prepared to put in, put in the legwork for it. So I was in church, this was the previous church we are in, um, I was in church uh, one day, and this just my perspective just suddenly switched. I had this new perspective. I was thinking to myself, right, I want to see more healings in, in my sight than just the stories I hear. I want to see God working through me more than I am. Holy Spirit, I want you to be speaking to me so that I can prophesy to people to encourage them and to speak into their lives the messages that God wanted to be spoken into their lives. I wanted a real heart for the lost. We're in a community that was so broken. I wanted a real heart for them. I wanted for me to know of Jesus more. I wanted to feel his love. And this, all these desires that I had, I was thinking, why are they not happening? Why am I not really feeling that love of Jesus to the extent that I wanted it? Why am I not hearing from the Holy Spirit? Why am I not seeing healings when I'm praying for people to be healed? And then it was like this, as I say, this new perspective, this switch that suddenly happened. And I thought, hang on. If I'm only half-heartedly apprenticing to Jesus, how can I expect those things to be happening? Caveat, you know, God will work through anybody anywhere, won't he? So this isn't about me saying that because I'm wanting to apprentice more to Jesus, these things will happen as a consequence. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I wanted this stuff and I was expecting it to happen, even though I wasn't fully apprenticing to Jesus, as I truly wanted, as I truly desired. So 
I started looking into it, and I wanted to know how I could become more like Jesus. Who do you look at if you want to become more like Jesus? Jesus, of course. How did he live? How did he relate to other people? What were his rhythms? And that was the big one. Jesus' daily, weekly, yearly rhythms that I thought, hang on, I'm, I'm not cultivating that in my life. And I want to cultivate that in my life. And the more I read into it, the more that I realized the sort of the wording behind this, spiritual disciplines, which I'm sure many of us have heard of, a rule of life, practices. They're the kind of words that were coming out as I was researching and wondering how I could become more like Jesus. And it made me turn to John 15, and I'm going to read that to you now, the start of John 15. It says this, I, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What? I can't bear fruit unless I remain in him? But, but I want to see fruit. I want to see those healings. I want to see those prophetic words come true. I want to hear from God. So I need to remain in you, Jesus. One um, author that I'm particularly fond of is a, was a pastor in America called John Mark Comer. He talks about we needs to put a rule of life into place, uh, spiritual practices, so that we are like those branches. Jesus is like the vine, and the rule of life, those practices, are like the trellises that we see in the vineyard. Is that picture? Yeah, great. If you've ever been to a vineyard tour or seen a picture of a vineyard, all the grape trees are so pristinely in line, aren't they? And they're tied to these wooden boards, these trellises. And this is what he says. What a trellis is to wine, a rule of life is to abiding. It's a structure. In this case, a structure and a set of practices to set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. If a vine doesn't have a trellis, it will die. And if your life with Jesus doesn't have some kind of structure to facilitate health and growth, it will wither away. Following Jesus has to make it onto our schedules and into our practices, or it will never happen. I want to remain in you, Jesus. I want to bear fruit. How can I do that? Well, I attach myself to this trellis, these sets of practices, and I remain in them. So I want to indulge you by telling you some of those uh, trellises, some of those practices that, that I've been trying to practice over these past few weeks, and believe you me, there's so many more that I don't do. 
just listen to a whole series on Sabbath, for example. Like, I, I have a day off, yes, but I don't Sabbath as Jesus calls us to Sabbath. That's a practice that I want to work on. An excuse, I don't quite know how you Sabbath with young children, genuinely, but I, but I want to work it out. I want to have that trellis. I want to remain in Jesus and Sabbath because that's what he calls us to do, as an example. But I'm going to talk about the ones that I feel like I am adopting, and so therefore to see if that will help you. The first one may be incredibly obvious, and I'm sure you all know I'm going to say this, but it's prayer. It's prayer. So I have prayed for as long as I remember, even well before I was a Christian. You know my testimony. I grew up in a Christian household. My dad's a vicar, so prayed every day. And it wasn't until literally a few years ago that I said, after having this moment in this previous church, you know, like, am I, am I praying as you want me to pray, Lord? Am I strapping myself to the trellis of prayer, truly? And I realized that there was so much more to prayer than what I was doing. Let's look at Jesus, though, first off, and then we'll adapt it to, to what we can do as our practices. This is Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And we see these kind of verses throughout the Gospels. Jesus getting up early, going to pray, getting up early, going to pray, going on all-night prayer vigils. This is an example of one of those, Luke 6. One of those days, Jesus went on out to a mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying to God. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. And then the passage continues and lists their name. I knew there was more that I could be doing in my prayer life. There was more that I could be giving. And I wanted to make this a rhythm in my life that was, yes, daily, and we all know that we need to daily pray, but there was that consistent rhythm and desire to pray. I have never prayed all night. I've never prayed all night through. I'm not going to have a show of hands because that would just make me feel bad. But I've never done that. And I look at Jesus and I think the night before he made one of the most important decisions in his ministry of choosing the 12 apostles that he was going to, that they were going to apprentice to him and that they were going to start the church. And the whole reason that the church is as it is today is well, obviously because of Jesus, but also because of them. Did I, before the opportunity to come here for my curacy, did I pray all night to decide whether Steve would be a good person to learn from? If I had, I may not have come here. <laughs> you know, I don't mean it. But no, I didn't. Like me being here in this training capacity that I'm in, you would have thought that I would have offered that in a grand capacity to prayer. Now, don't get me wrong, I prayed about it. But I look at Jesus and I think, goodness, his rhythms of getting up early, his rhythms of doing all-night prayer vigils, am I, am I doing that? 
Do I want to remain in him? Do I want to become more like Jesus? I need to make prayer more a priority. Last year, I read this book, and it's called How to Pray by a guy called Pete Gregg. And um, the material is from the prayer course that some of you may have heard of. It's a great book. And I was kind of embarrassed to think that I should buy a book that is entitled How to Pray, noting that I'm already ordained by this point. Surely, Jesus, surely I, I should know how to pray. He talks about these four letters of pray being pause, rejoice, ask, and then yield. Yield meaning like saying yes to God, yielding our lives to him. I read the book and I was thinking, do I ever pause and pray? Do I ever stop and just pause and wait before I intercede for this place, intercede for you, intercede for many other things? I realized that I wasn't. And then I go back to the whole, hang on, am I hearing of God? Am I hearing him as he speaks to me? Well, not as much as I would like, because that's what I'm really desiring to become more like Jesus in. And then thinking, well, hang on, I'm not actually pausing at the start of my prayers to actually hear from him. When I now visit people, when I now pray with people, I make this conscious effort. And if I don't do this when I come to see you and pray with you, you have permission to pull me up on it. Say, no, you haven't paused for long enough yet. You haven't listened yet. But I now wait. I don't rush into whatever people have asked me to pray for or in my own prayer time. I don't rush into it now. I, I pause. And I just wait. I say, Lord, I'm, I want to be present to you. I want to be here. I want to remain in you. And even since last year when I read this book, I feel like this is already transformed my prayer life. The next one is rejoice. Spend some time rejoicing. This is the kind of the steps in which Pete Gray tells that we should pray, we should pause, then rejoice. I, I don't think I necessarily had a, a problem with rejoicing. I think I was doing that. Ask. I was just going straight into that though beforehand. And actually by pausing, I was able to know how the Spirit was leading me to ask for certain things. And then yielding, listening to what he said, being obedient. Saying, yes, Lord, I want to remain in you and I want to have that within me. So even this past year, when you, you, know, you may look at the people on stage and think, oh, well, their, their prayer life must be absolutely amazing. Their spiritual disciplines must be absolutely amazing. We're all working on it. I hope we all want to become more like Jesus. So I hope we're all wanting to develop these rhythms. But this is now my prayer rhythm. Not quite getting up early. I'm, I'm not quite, Lord, please. I'm not quite at that stage yet. But my prayer rhythm now is I make sure as often as I can, I walk to church. Obviously, I'm here most days. I do a half hour walk here and a half hour walk back. And I prayer walk. That's the time where I can pause 
rejoice. Ask and then yield to whatever God has for the day. And then as I'm walking back home, thank him for what has gone on. That is a rhythm that I have got myself into. So for you, prayer, which is a, is a great thing, but it can be a tough thing. What rhythms are you putting in place? What strategies of prayer are you putting in place? Because that is so fundamental, isn't it? The next practice that um, me and Hannah made a massive commitment to doing when we moved here was um, being in a community and eating with people. So we didn't start our family's MC straight away. We wanted to see where the Lord may want us um, to minister here in this place, but we started our family MC. And that is a weekly rhythm that we have. We eat together every week, pretty much. And we have that rhythm weekly in, out of being in community together. Let's look at Jesus. Let's see if he has community with people. Let's see if he eats. We know the answer. This is Luke 7.36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is Matthew 9, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. This is John 21. This is for the millennials here. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I'm going to translate that as, come and have some brunch. That's Jesus, isn't it? I said this stat um, when we did the sermon series this time last year. How much of Jesus' time did he spend around the table with others that we have recorded in the Gospels? A percentage. Shout it out. Lizzie Rothwell, you actually listen. That is amazing. It may be that I talk about it quite a lot in IRMC, but yeah, 25% of the recorded time that we have of Jesus is him in community eating with people. So me and Hannah, we wanted to adopt this. And not only do we have our weekly MC, we weekly, and literally we will like plan it in our diaries, we have somebody or a family around in addition to our community every single week. Now that may be our own family, that may be friends from outside the church, or then it is also people from within the church. Every single week we have got into this rhythm, this very intentional rhythm that we have community and that we eat with people. Why? Because Jesus did it. Jesus spent 25% of his ministry that we have recorded in community eating with people. Realistically, two meals a week that we share with other people is not 25%, is it? I think, Steve, we should get a card for Cafe 1821 and just have unlimited food there and do all our meetings there. I think, I think we should. But seriously, that's the point, isn't it? 25%. Are we putting that rhythm into our lives? Next one. Retreat. This is Jesus. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 5.16. This is slightly earlier on in Luke. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside because he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Where had he just been before that? being tempted by the devil in those wilderness places. 
That's not a retreat necessarily in the sense that I'm calling it. But he removed himself, didn't he? This is Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself. Retreat. Since starting ministry, one day every month, I go on retreat. I don't necessarily go anywhere. My standard here so far is that I walk from home to the front. I choose left if I want to go towards Ainsdale Beach. I turn right if I want to go towards the pier. And I just walk along the front. And I just spend time with God. Walking, listening, being in his presence. And that day I look forward to. I truly do. I know that I'm going to be so refreshed after that day just spending time with God without any other distractions. And I feel that my walk with Jesus is more fruitful because of it. And this is why I am endeavouring to Sabbath because the books that I've read about Sabbath basically says that that is a weekly retreat. It's a weekly time spending with God. And when I have started to do Sabbath, I'll do a whole evening on Sabbath, I promise. Two more. Margin. This sounds an odd rhythm to say. But let me tell you this story. This is Jesus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea, where Lazarus was. He hears one of his best friends is sick. He then spends two more days in the place where he is before he then goes and makes the journey to Judea to go and see him. I mean, not exactly in a hurry, is he? Yeah? I mean... Let's be honest, he's Jesus, he knows he's going to heal him, he knows it's going to be all all fine. But the essence of the reason I say this is that he is fiercely present with people. I can't imagine Jesus doing this when he's talking to somebody. Oh yeah, that's fab, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, oh, interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you? How often do we do that? How often do we look at our phones and not actually engage with the person that is in front of us? How often do I find myself thinking, oh, I've got this really, really important appointment to go to. Someone's really, really in need. Someone comes to me, and what I don't notice is their needs right there because I'm thinking about the need of the other person that I'm going to go and see. What would Jesus do? He'd wait two more days and just spend time with the person that's right in front of him. This is something that I am I'm struggling with to some extent. Because what it actually means very practically is that I cannot overfill my diary. That I make space between appointments so that if God wants to speak to me and me speak to somebody or somebody wants to speak to me, I, I'm not in a rush. And if you know anything about me, I like to be efficient. I really, I, I don't like wasting time. 
So this is, this is really hard, building in this rhythm of margin into my diary. Again, if you ever see me walking away from you when you are truly in need, you need to shout margin at me. Remain in me, Jesus says. Remain so present to people. And the last one, which is very quick so we can worship again, is, is scripture. I mean, I don't necessarily think I need to necessarily say too much about it, but how are we to remain in Jesus? Well, we need to remain in his word. I have never, ever read through the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation in that way. I've, I've read every single book of the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I read my Bible most days. That is definitely a confession. I do try every day. But from this year, from January the 1st, I said, right, God, this year, this year, 13 years since my conversion, this is the year that I am going to read the Bible from cover to cover. And I'm only three days behind so far. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty good. I'll catch up this week, I promise. But it's like creating that rhythm, isn't it? It's creating that rhythm. And there are so, so many more. And the book that I've been reading most recently, I read it just after Christmas, was about unhurrying, about slowing. It's John Mark Homer's latest book. And he talks about Sabbath, which is to say, I have not mastered yet. He talks about rest. He talks about silence and solitude. Oh my goodness, I can't do that. But Lord, I want to remain in you. I want these practices to be my trellis that hold me up as I remain in you. Simplicity, unhurrying, fasting, like Steve was talking about this morning. These are all which are not rhythms in my walk with Jesus yet, but I so long them to be. So for you tonight, a simple challenge really. How are you cultivating Jesus rhythms in your life? How are you putting in time to pray? And not just list off those intercessions that are so important, but time to pause, time to rejoice, and then, yeah, time to ask, but then time to yield, time to action for him. Where are you putting in time where you are spending time with community exactly like Jesus did? When are you eating with people, conversing, sharing life with each other over food? Where are you putting in margin? Where are you thinking of scripture? Where are you retreating? All those things and anything else. Think about that for yourself tonight. Because we're all here, we all come out 6.30 once a month to grow because we all want to grow and be more like Jesus, don't we? So I would challenge you to cultivate rhythms into your life that make you more like him and remain in him. Thanks, Hattie.